Makim said they are filled with new wine. This event changed everything. This was, this was crucial. This was the last little act or the, of the redemption story where Jesus came down and that we'll look at these here. But this, and this verse hints at the global implications that this event had. These people were here from all across the world. This is where there's a switch made from the Old Testament to the New Testament. This is where the switch is made from the Old Covenant to the kingdom of God, where God actually allows us to be a part of the kingdom of God and invites us into the work that is, that is to be happening here. This is the point where God moves from, completes the move, he started earlier, from nation building and using the temple at Jerusalem as a center for worship of Yahweh to a more organic worship from deep within the heart of man, individually and collectively as a church. This is an incredible, incredible time. The church is born. The church is to carry the work of redemption and restoration forward as it completes the shift and to becoming the primary way that God speaks through his people to the people of this earth. So he, he shifts. So before this, he had been th- speaking through the nation of Israel to the people around him. There's a major shift going on here. Now he's establishing the church and he's saying, through the church, this is how I'm going to get my will to happen. In the, This is how the kingdom of God comes down. This is how I'm going to make, restore all things. And it's this part. How many of you remember where you were January 6, 2020? January 6, 2020. Fantastic. A few of you. Good deal. Now, what was about that date that you remembered, Randy? Okay, that's right. January 6, 2020. So you remember that the Capitol riots happened, okay? How many of you remember 9-11-2001? Those of you that aren't too young to remember it, you remember where you were, right? And so why, why, why do you remember that date? Significance of something happened. Some of you could probably tell me about where you were when JFK was shot. We have one here. Fantastic. Okay. I uh, wasn't alive at that time. But I do remember where I was at. I was at home alone. I was, I was recovering, actually, from falling off the roof and breaking my ankle uh, when I got the phone call. But George Bush was, was reading to a group of, of elementary students down in Sarasota in the Emma Booker uh, Elementary School when he got the news that a second plane had hit the World Trade Centers. Suddenly, everything changed. He went from a president that was focused on domestic issues to a president that was to lead our nation into two world, two wars, actually, very disastrous wars, but two wars. It changed everything. We all know, many of us know where we were. And in this, it was very, very significant. No more was he a, a president that, that, that focused primarily on what hit on his agenda. All of a sudden, there was a different agenda. I will say that that incident like that pales in comparison to the seismic shift that happened when the Holy Spirit came in down in Pentecost. This changed everything. I'm going to run through the meta narrative of history very quickly here. This is uh, one of my pet ways to talk about. Uh, so right now I'm reading a book called The Drama of History and where there's different, it talks about six acts of history where um, it talks, begins with creation and has the fallen redemption gone. This, I've, I've taught from this model for a long time, so this is kind of where I'm at. But so the first part is creation. It's shalom when, when creation was, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, there was creation, there was shalom, there was a peace. It wasn't long till that was shattered, the fall happened. 
and mankind, mankind began his downward trend. Redemption happened. And redemption, so there's three things there in redemption. We don't, the, the one we don't have, and that's the incarnation. But there was four, four acts of redemption that we'd like to talk about very briefly. First one was the incarnation. Jesus actually becoming one of us. So Christmas was a beginning of this act of redemption. The second one was the cross. You see it on the, on the picture there. And then, just as significant as the cross was the resurrection. But let's not forget that the church still wasn't established. It was still in the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus had risen again. We were still in the Old Testament until the Holy Spirit came and everything. That, that, that was the final act of redemption in the opening stage, I guess, of redemption. When the Holy Spirit came down and indwelt the people there in Jerusalem. And we are looking forward to joining in part of God in the restoration of all things. And so this is the kingdom of God happening. It's unfolding as we speak. So we're going from redemption through restoration up into the consummation of Shalom, coming back, the restoration, the glorification of all things. And so we, so, so not only is that a, a really big deal in our personal life, you can apply that to your personal life, but as you look at history, that, that's exactly, it was such a seismic shift that our timeline actually you go from BC to AD the time actually changed our calendars changed so many people it was it was incredible difference so what I'd like to do is just keep going here and talk about Pentecost a little bit the Holy Spirit came down filled them with power and they started preaching if you read this account it would appear that they were in the temple and when the Holy Spirit was was poured out it was a very public event I won't take the time to unpack this but there's some really cool stuff here in the fact that that in the Old Testament the the feasts of first fruits had tied into Pentecost here and they sell the Pentecost this uh, this feast was a celebration of the law coming down the law was replaced by the Holy Spirit living within our hearts uh, so the Holy Spirit Spirit came down. Peter was inspired and felt led to preach a powerful sermon. As a result of that sermon, 3,000 souls added to the church, and we have a church. And you may say, what does this have to do with choosing church leaders? It has everything, because that same model that was put into place where God uses people and uses people to, de- to determine His will through the Holy Spirit living among ourselves is the same thing, the same model that you're using as you look among yourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to speak and direct you tomorrow night as you take your vote. And it, so we have to be in tune with God. Our hearts have to be prepared. So to, to get the, the backdrop here, we need to talk just a little bit about the role of the Holy Spirit in ancient Israel. And here's where we'll We'll cross over a little bit about what Paul preached about several Sundays ago, uh, but I had this, and so I thought I would just keep going here. So back in 2019, Marina and I had the privilege of visit, uh, visiting Israel. When we were there, we went to northern Israel. There was a uh, called Shiloh or Shiloh. It was where the, the tabernacle was when Samuel was a little boy. Okay, and so if you go up there right now, uh, I don't have a picture of it, but it was on the top of a mount, and all around the hillside around that little mountain was scattered. Bits and pieces of pottery shards, cooking utensils, thousands and thousands of years later. Why are they scattered all around the hillside? It's because God's presence was in the tabernacle. And when they wanted to worship, they needed to go to the tabernacle up in Shiloh. And so what happened there, they, they needed to go to, because God's presence was dwelling in the tabernacle. And so they needed to make the trek to northern Israel several times a year because that's where the Spirit of God dwelt. When the tabernacle of God was in disarray like it was when Samuel was little, and they, they couldn't worship at the tabernacle. Remember the Philistines stole it? The, the actually worship of God in Israel 
fell apart. And the nation struggled as a result because God's presence wasn't there. God's presence was in the temple, the tabernacle. And then, of course, was the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings 8, 6 to 13. Now we have the temple, Solomon's temple, and says uh, they moved the the Holy of Holies down to the holy place. And it says, when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon said, the Lord has said that he will dwell in thick darkness. And this is Solomon saying, I indeed have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. And then God came and dwelt in the temple. So the in the Old Testament, the tabernacle and the temple were the permanent dwelling place of the Spirit of God. So it was permanent in the temple on the tabernacle. And so if you wanted to worship, you needed to go to Jerusalem because that's where God was. But you may say, well, there's also prophets that had the indwelling of the Spirit of God. And that's right. You think of Samson. Samson there. Samson had was also infilled with the, the Holy Spirit. But so what happened here, there was temporarily infilling the Holy Spirit for specific tasks. They would come down, they would do their thing, and then the Spirit of God would leave. It happened to Saul. It happened to Samuel. It said the Spirit of God fell upon him. He, he ministered to God. And then, of course, it left. And it very specifically, in Judges 13.26, it said the Spirit of God began to stir him. And then he got up and did not know that the Lord had left him. And that wasn't so unusual. It was what was happening here is Samson had, of course, turned his back. King Saul, when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. After these signs came to pass that day, when he was first became king. And then he goes on and says, And when he came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samuel, uh, Saul, and he prophesied among them. Then later again, where the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So before Pentecost, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was temporary and for a specific task. Before Pentecost, the permanent place was in the temple and the tabernacle. Then came Acts 2. Then came Pentecost. And we know that we are now in the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that you are God's temple? God dwells within you. And I just, I love this idea. A group of us, to get a group of people together. The Greek word for you in this case is plural, as in the church, not in an individual. Now, it's very real to say that God, we invite Jesus into our heart. We understand that verbiage, okay? But there's something much bigger going on here. We, we, we are not little temples all over the place, okay? Scattered around. We are the temple of God collectively together. Just like on the picture. Sorry, I keep putting the picture back here. Just like on the picture, people are working together to build this. That's how the Spirit of God moves among us when we discern His will. So it's, so it's us together discerning God's will because I alone am unbalanced and I need others to help speak into my life. And as they speak into my life, we can determine what God's will is. And that's why it's so incredibly crucial to be a part of a body of believers that links arms and say together, let's find out what God has for us. That is incredibly important. God's spirit dwells within us individually, but we determine, he reveals his will to us collectively. Identifying leaders for God's people will just rush, go over this. Paul used this passage so weeks ago. We're not going to turn to it. This is when God God used uh, Samuel to promote, to anoint David king. Just going to go through here and says, we can be just as sure, just run through here. So why doesn't God identify church leaders among his people today like he did when Samuel anointed David? Uh, and it's, we understand why, because since Act 2, a congregation is God's spiritual temple, indwelt by the Holy Spirit to give spiritual understanding with God's word in our hearts to guide their thinking. And a local congregation identifies her leaders just as surely as the leaders, as the prophets of old. And we know this. Even Samuel 
Samuel was tempted to look at the outside appearance. And so here's a thing that's incredibly important because as, as Samuel looked out at Eliab, he, he thought that that's who God was talking about. But so our natural inclination is to look on the outside appearance. We are earthbound as individuals and we are tempted to look on the outward appearance, but it says that God actually knows the heart. And here's where we want to get into it. We understand that we all have the capacity to project outwardly something that inwardly is not so. We all have it. We have that. It's not sustainable and it will come to light eventually. So most of the biblical qualifications that we ta- that you have yet that James Beach actually preached about here a couple weeks ago relate to a man's inner man. And like uh, someone said, you can fool some people all the time and all the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. It's simply we know who we are. So the Spirit of God now indwells his people as the temple of God. For through him, we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, the church being joined together, grows into an holy temple of the Lord. In him also you are being built together into a dwelling place place for God by the Spirit. As we move ahead, let's go back to the biblical pattern in Acts and observe what we need to do there moving forward because we cannot see the heart of man. We must rely on the Holy Spirit to move us forward. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 10 says, These are things that God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God knows everything. He will uh, connect us. So it's crucial that our hearts are ready to allow the Spirit of God to work through us. And our hearts are ready so that if we are called, that we can be ready for God's call to take effect. So then how do we prepare our hearts so God can work through us to choose one that is a leader for the people of God? Remember, as Christians, we are the temple of God. He indwells us as people. And then collectively, He we find His will. So what does it mean to have a prepared heart. We're going to look at King David. David was someone that God said that he is a man after my own heart. We'd like to look at David and uh, and just see what he has going on there. So David, what was what was about David that made him a man after God's own heart? What made him so? Was it the absence of sin? David did a lot of stuff that was not okay. He numbered the people when God told him not to. And as a result, God brought about a plague among his people that killed thousands of Israelites. And we all, our mind always goes to the incident with Bathsheba and Uriah. And 2 Samuel 11, 1 to 5, it says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Amorites and besieged Rahab, Rabah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened one late afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the son of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers to her, and she came to him and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she went and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. And David's like, whoa, now what? We know the rest of the story, how David divides the scheme to get her husband home. So people would think that the baby belonged to Uriah, not to David. We know how Uriah didn't cooperate and David uh, had sent him back to battle with his own death sentence uh, there. David thought he got away with it, but God sent Nathan the prophet to see him and to confront him. And after that confrontation, I want you to, to listen to, to the psalm. Turn to it if you would. Psalm 51. David David had committed a grievous sin, but look at his response when Nathan called him out on it. We're going to read Psalm 51. Just listen to the heart 
of David here. And this is what we're wanting to get at. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then will I teach transgressors your way, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O God, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For I will, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or would I give it? You would not be pleased with it burned off. The sacrifices of the Lord are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be added, will be offered on your altar. God wants a heart that is quick to confess and repent. If you want God to move among your church tomorrow evening and tonight and this weekend, you need a heart that is quick to confess, quick to quick to renew and ask God to have a clean heart. If the Holy Spirit is to have free reign, we need to have clean hearts. Not necessarily hearts that don't sin, but a heart that is quick to repent and turn to God. Do you see the heart of David? He's praying that God would cleanse his heart so he can be used of him. When we have unconfessed sin in our hearts, then we're not ready to be used of God. You may be saying, but well, yeah, but I'm not going be called. It's not going to be me, but you have a part. If you're here, you have a part in that calling. As a local New Testament church, we can be assured that Jesus walked, works through us to call leaders from among his people, but God needs clean heart that are ready to be used. Psalm 139, I'm going to read a couple verses there. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, this is David again saying, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The Holy Spirit will reveal us to us, his will, of the will of God if we ask, because and we were promised in 1 Corinthians 2, it says, these are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God. A prepared heart is a clean heart. It is a rested heart. It is a heart at peace. Next person we want to look at is Peter. This is a, a painting called The Look. And I'd like to look at two, two questions that God asked him. The first one was, in, in Matthew 16, verse 16, where Jesus asked him, whom do men say that I am? Peter responded very differently in these two questions. And we'd like to look at what happened here that caused Peter to respond differently. The first we see that Peter was a fisherman. He was determined to do the right thing. He was quick to follow Christ. He was outspoken in his desire to follow Christ, but he was a slow student. And I'm just going to read the, the account here. It says, when Jesus came to the, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, remember that was up north where the, where the heathens were and 
they were very possibly by the gate of Pan there. He said, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So powerful creed here. It's a confession that Peter makes. It's a powerful confession. But if you keep reading the story, it was only seven verses later that Peter, that Peter actually rebukes Jesus and said, and Jesus was talking here, talking about him going to the cross. And it says, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance. Peter truly wanted to follow Christ. He, he, in his mind, he thought he knew what it took. He, he, he thought that he had in his heart what it took, but there was a missing ingredient. Let's go to John 21, verse 15. It was after the resurrection. We know the crucifixion, resurrection happened. The disciples went to Galilee. And if you go to John 21, verse 15, they had fished all night. They had not caught anything. Jesus from the shore and he called to them, told them to put the net on the other side. They got a lot of fish. Peter's eyes were open. He saw what happened, jumps out of the boat, ran to Jesus to the boat, and he worships Jesus there on the seashore. And then Jesus was cooking breakfast for them. That would have been a, a really cool barbecue or whatever for Jesus to, to, to get there, get breakfast for them. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Pete, Simon Peter, Simon, here's the second question. Son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yea, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Very different question. The first question was a propositional. Who do men say that I am? What do you think about? The second one was very personal. Do you love me? Very different questions, both very valid. But what happened to Peter in the time between these two stories? Peter went through a tremendous change of heart between these two stories. He had an encounter with Jesus. He had been at the garden. Remember, they went out to the garden of Gethsemane. He had fallen asleep. The Judas came. He had risen in righteous indignation, grabbed his sword when Judas came to arrest Jesus. Confusion the moment he swung at Malchus with his sword. I don't know. He probably ducked and he cut off his ear. Jesus had to put it back on. Peter followed Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest when he denied Jesus three times because he was afraid of his own life. But it says that, here again, it says how we know the story of how the rooster crowed. And it says in, in, in Luke, it says something that none of the other gospels do. It said that Jesus turned and he looked out at Peter. He saw him. And that's what this is portraying. All of a sudden, Jesus is on trial and Peter is in the courtyard, has just denied him. And Peter saw what happened and he saw his own own unworthiness. And it says that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He was a different man. And then he went up into uh, Galilee. The second time Peter said, who do men say? He didn't. Then so he went up and, and, and Jesus knew what had happened to Peter, that he had, he had come to himself, understood his own sinfulness and had an encounter with Jesus, so much of an encounter with Jesus that the question next time wasn't, who do you say that I am? It was, do you love me? Very personal, very different question. And he, so Peter's faith, you see, Peter's faith moved from a prepositional faith to a relational one in his heart. It, it, it dropped from here 
down to here. Powerful story if we really get it. And that's what God is after. Peter denied Jesus. Judas denied Jesus. Judas went down and hung himself. Peter didn't. Very different outcomes here. You look at the at, at Saul and David. Look at the King Saul had just as much opportunity as David did, but Saul hardened his heart, and we know how he went in the wrong direction. David had a heart for God. He repented. He came to God, and that's exactly what we need to do. We need to have an encounter with Jesus without a deeply personal encounter with Jesus that gets deep inside of us, then our faith will be up here and it won't reach down into here. It's a posture of bowing the heart and the will to Jesus. Peter went on to preach a powerful message at Pentecost there and was instrumental in building the church. And early church history would tell us that Peter and his wife were both imprisoned in Rome and they were led to be martyred. And when his when death came, his wife was martyred first. And as she was led out to die, Peter comforted her with the words, remember the Lord. Peter had relational intimacy with his Savior, and it showed God is seeking a people with a heart for him. He's not seeking people that don't sin. He's not seeking people that only, it is important to think right, it is, but not think, seeking people that only think right. The Christian life is holistic, and it is transformational. If you believe in Jesus and your life is not changed, then you need an encounter with Jesus. Do you love me? And Jesus is asking that of us. Do you love me? So how do we prepare our hearts? I've listed four very practical ways that we can do this. Now, I hesitated doing this because you know what happens when you create a list, right? We think we do the list and we're good to, we're good to go. The first one I simply have is pause. Be still and know that I am God. The example of Elijah, we know how Elijah ran into the desert after Mount Carmel. Uh, he was up on top of... Um, Mark Carmel and the the prophets, he had killed the prophets. Jezebel came after him and he ran and he went to Mount Sinai and he was depressed. And it says that he came to a cave and lodged in it and God came to him and he said, what are you doing here? And Elijah says, I am very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. And he goes on and he says, and God says, go out and stand by the mountain. And the Lord passed and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the God, Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance. And then he encountered Jesus, uh, Christ. He encountered God. After that encounter, we know that he went on. He called Elijah into the, into the ministry and he went on to, to finish his ministry. Very powerful there. Allow God to speak into your heart as you wait on him. Recapture the wonder of God. Psalm 139, 1 to 24 is a, is a great, I'm not going to read it, but it's a great passage to read. It talks about seeing the holiness of God. It says, woe, and, and also in Isaiah 6, 1 to 6, it says, woe, Isaiah was talking and, and God was talking to him and Isaiah saw the glory of God and he says, woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When we see the holiness of God, our response will be one of humility and wonder. We will see our own wickedness, our own unworthiness and undoneness. So at least, I mean, you only have one day, I get it. But take time tomorrow or this evening and pause. Don't take anything with you. Don't try to think of what you're going to do tomorrow evening as far as voting. Just calm down and rest your heart before God. Don't take your phone with you and go to a place where you can't be interrupted. And if you fall asleep, you fall asleep. Wake up and do it again. Uh, but, but I'm telling you, just, just, you have to totally unwind if you want God, God to speak into your life. So just pause, pray, spend focused time in prayer for direction, for peace, 
for guidance, for clarity. Worship. Worship God through prayer all by yourself. If if you sing and that works for you, sing. You're you're doing it by yourself, right? No one's going to hear you. And so, but worship, worship. Recognize that our Father in heaven, and like in the like in the the uh, Lord's prayer, that opening phrase of that is our Father in heaven. It's a it's a worshipful prayer. Recognize God, the greatness of God, the total dependency that we have on God. Surrender your kingdom come. Surrender your will. Maybe you're struggling and you're saying, God, I. I really want to have peace, but I'm struggling here, God. I'm struggling to really surrender. I'm, maybe I'm struggling with surrendering if it's me that God is calling. Maybe I'm surrendering if it's somebody that I don't want to be in part of. I don't know what, what you need to surrender, but surrender. Uh, surrender that to God. Ask for guidance. Not necessarily guidance for tomorrow evening. That'll come. But just guidance in getting closer to God. Reflect. And there's a time to get the Word of God out. Remember, uh, to read some and read some. Just a reflection of Psalms. Uh, Psalm 119 is a good one. Your Word is a lamp to my feet. Not a problem solving, but a deep awareness that God is speaking through you. What is God doing? What are we doing? What's the big picture? What is God wanting to do at Grace Point? So, so reflect on what God is trying to do in your life. Just sit quietly and reflect. Wait on God to speak in your heart. And often, after reflection, we'll have to repent. Because if, if you're like me, if you sit and re- reflect for a long time, God points something out in your life and says, huh, right there. And then I've got to go through the whole repentance and confession and those steps of restoring my soul and so that God can use me. But repent. Repent of anything that God shows you that you need to repent of. Your posture needs to be one of allowing God to reveal the areas that you need to repent in. And then engage. Whoa, too far. My bad, Nevin. It's okay. You can just leave it off. The last one is simply engage. Only then bring your mind back to the ordination. And then ask God for a name. I don't know if you have a list in front of you, but it can be very practical and you pray through the list. But but go through and allow God to walk you through that. Uh, as you as you look, ask God to reveal to you the one you're to vote for, and surrender your will to God as He as He leads you as a church here. I want to bless you, not only personal but also from Cross Point. We are delighted to see this step. Uh, speaking for all of us, uh, and and we we love you guys, and we love to see. God working and, and you taking this step. Uh, it just feels like, uh, the kingdom of God keeps moving forward. And sometimes we'd like to just pause and say, okay, we really don't have it figured out yet, right? But God is saying, just take that step of faith and just keep going, do the next thing. And then when you do that thing, there'll be something else, but just do the next thing. So just pause, allow God to work in your heart, open your heart to Him. And if God is, is asking you to repent of something, do that. Just pause and pray and ask God to just walk through you. God, we pray tonight. Lord, we pray for Grace Point here. Lord, I pray that you would move among the people here this evening. Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit is here. You promised that you would be here and you would guide us into all truth and that you would guide us into revealing your will to us. Lord, we we want to come alongside you and your work in the kingdom of God. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal your will to uh, the brothers and sisters here across uh, Grace Point this weekend. Lord, I pray that you would just... Um, Calm the nervous hearts, maybe, but give maybe just a direction and guidance for those that don't know where to go from here. Lord, I pray that you would just be here through this whole process tomorrow night, uh, tonight, tomorrow night, Sunday morning and evening. Lord, I pray that you would, we invite your presence here. Lord, we thank you that the work of the church goes on. And Lord, we thank you that we can be a part of this work, this work that has been going on for several thousand years. 
And Lord, we so thank you that we're part of it. Lord, we pray that you would be with us here this evening, we pray through Christ. Amen.